everybody and welcome to the well at STSA where you are in for a fun treat because we have a fun day today we're continuing our series on uh, identity crisis the search for me and before I jump into today's topic I have a question for you guys I need a little crowd participation here be honest be honest no shame right here we all have certain things that we're not necessarily proud of but we all do things sometimes how many people in here would say that one of their guilty pleasures is they like to watch makeover shows on TV, those reality makeover shows. Okay, very good. Not too many brave souls, but some. Okay, now for those who say that they enjoy the makeover shows, what's the best kind? Which is the best makeover show? What's the best makeover show? Huh? Or do we not, do we not want to admit it? What was that? What not to wear. Okay, never seen that one. What else? What's another good makeover show? Extreme makeover. That's the house one, right? Okay, so that's the one that I know. Okay, I know there's other ones, there's like body makeover and fashion makeover and, and marriage and wedding and spouse makeover and all this kinds of stuff. I don't know any of those. But I know that every time I go to the dentist's office, every time I go to, I never watch TV at home except for just sports and PTI and ESPN, things like that. But every time I go to the dentist's office, they have the HGTV and it's always that extreme makeover show where they're making over a house. And I'm telling you, I am glued. I'm glued. I can't take my eyes off and I can't figure out why. I never watch any of these uh, shows on TV, but somehow, I'm not a very handy man, but there's something about watching a house get making over or maked over or made over, okay. <laughs> something about a house, I just was trying to say not make out. That's what my hope was not to say make out, okay. <laughs> there's something about watching a makeover that you can't take your eyes off of. There's something about seeing something old become new, something stinky become beautiful, something that has very little value all of a sudden become tremendous value. And I think the part of it that we love so much is it just seems like when they're doing it, it just makes it look like it's just so easy. That's the worst part. Like I need to replace the thing in my bathroom, the little towel rack, and it takes me three hours to do something like that. Just to unscrew this and put the old, and these guys are knocking down walls and taking off fixtures and putting in fans and building decks, and all within a half hour, the whole thing is done. There's something that you just can't look away from when you see these makeover shows. 
And I think there's a reason why. I think deep inside every single human being, there's something about change that we love. There's something about the ability or the power to make changes, significant changes. Like I said, bad to good, old to new, ugly to beautiful, worthless to very, very expensive. Something about that change process where each of us, as we're watching that, it hits something inside of us. That wouldn't it be great if I could do a makeover in my own life? Like, wouldn't it be great if I had, like, bad habit makeover show? So you just come with your bad habit. I can't stop eating candy. Okay, bring your bad habit. You all apply, and you just come, half hour. I hocus pocus with you, a couple prayers. I tell you to read this, stand on one leg, do this, and boom, by the end of the show, you don't have any desire for candy no more. You come in and say, I have a bad marriage. You walk out with a great marriage. You come in and you say, I have no self-control. You walk out with the most self-control. You come in, you can't do two push-ups. You walk out looking like me. <laughs> wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great if change was really that simple. See, I never met, I met a lot of people in my life. I never met one person who doesn't have something in his life that he wants to change, that he doesn't want to change, I should say. I never met one person who doesn't have something of, I say, right now, I'll give you a button. You push this button and change one aspect of your life. I never met one person who, wouldn't, who would say, I got, I got nothing. We want to change a situation with a relationship, status of a relationship. We want to change something about the way we look. We want to change something about our past which is really a futile effort because it's in our past. We want to change something about our future, the direction that it's headed, but we don't really want it to go this direction. We kind of want it to go this direction. We want to change maybe an addiction that we have or a struggle that we have or whatever it may be. There isn't a person who doesn't struggle with change. And the reason why change is a struggle is just because, as, the, as it implied with the word struggle, it's something that we can't do on our own. I never met a person who has the ability to change anything he wants in his life. Because, as the saying goes, if you could have changed it on your own, you would have. But you can't, so you probably won't. Every single person in this world, there's something in his life that you asked him to go deeper inside. He'd say he wants to change. And I would say I'm the first one on that list. Do not be fooled by what you see here on stage. Because if you ask me, Father Anthony, do you have your life all together the way you want it? On paper, I do. Like, I could preach the perfect life. Yeah, I got it all figured out on my iPad right here. And I can present to you all the means to a perfect life. But don't think that I struggle. I don't struggle with self-control. Like, you don't struggle with self-control. Don't think I don't, I, I don't live in the same world that you don't live in. I don't struggle to keep my eyes pure, keep my mind pure. Don't think that it's very easy for me to always be patient, always be loving, always be kind. I have the same struggles that you have. But we, may don't, we don't present them to each other openly from on the stage, especially when there's a camera recording. But don't be fooled by that. Every one of us, what I'm trying to say, is in the same boat. That there's things in our lives that we wish we had the power to change. And the problem for all of us is not desire, it is ability. It's not that we don't desire to change. It's not that we don't have the intention to change. It's not that we don't have the greatest plan in our mind of how we're going to change. The problem is we lack the ability. And more specifically, I think we lack the power to change. I think we lack the power to implement what we desire so much in our mind and in our hearts. Problem is, is when we find ourselves in this state, we get frustrated. We start to say to ourselves, well, I can never, or I'll never be able to. And we start to think all these th thoughts about ourselves, and we find ourselves, our identity of ourselves becomes failures. 
and I'll never, and I can never, and I'll never be as good, or I'll never be able to. And it's one thing if it's a, 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 about a situation or a problem, but it gets to the issue when it uh, hits our identity, and that's where it becomes problematic. And in the face of feeling like I can't, and I'll never, we find a verse from the scripture today, which is our verse for today, which we look at and we say, I don't understand this verse. St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. He says, in all these things, in all these things, whatever your things are, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I don't know about you, but if I were to ask, if you were to ask me the majority of the time in my life, do I feel like a conqueror? I would say I do not feel like a conqueror. I would feel like one conquered. I would feel like the conqueree, not the conqueror. And I think most of us would share that same experience. That when we look at certain aspects of our life, that we have tried to change and failed. And we've tried to improve and failed. And we've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. We've done everything. We prayed. We read the Bible. We asked for help. Like we did everything we could and we still find ourselves failure. And then we read this verse that says, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We today need to understand what does this verse mean. Because this, as we've seen the past three weeks, this is the truth about who I am. My eyes see failure, but the truth that the word of God teaches me is that I am more than a conqueror. We need to understand what that means. That's our topic here for today. First, let's get a definition for what the word conquer, a working definition. This is what we came up with, what I came up with from uh, dictionary.com. To conquer means to overcome by force or subdue, to gain victory over or to be victorious. To overcome by force or subdue, to gain victory over or be victorious. Right off the bat, as soon as I read this definition, I found hope. Do you see hope in this definition? If you find yourself defeated today and feeling like you just can't, and then you read this definition... This makes me hopeful. Why? Where do you see hope in this definition? The word conquer doesn't mean not battling. The word conquer, by definition, it means that there's someone you are fighting. And by implica verse implication, is fighting against you. And the word conquer, like there's a difference between I am perfect and I am a conqueror. I am perfect means I have no struggle. It means that life just lays down in front of me. That I just walk around and I have no impure desires. And I have no temptations. And I have no, uh, nothing is pulling me in the wrong direction. But conquer, I'm a conqueror, means that I'm going to fight. And any battle, I'm going to lose sometimes and win sometimes. And I'm going to get injured and I'm going to cause injury. But in the end, when I know I'm a conqueror, I know at the end of the battle, at the end of the war I should say, I know that I'm victorious. And when we say that we are conquerors, we are more than conquerors in Christ, we have to understand that that implies that there's going to be a battle, and there's going to be some losses, and there's going to be some casualties, and there's going to be a time where you feel like, I'm going to quit. And there's going to be some times you feel like, I can never win. But that's the whole point of being a conqueror, is that you fight on until the very end. You look at your life and you say, this relationship will never change. My marriage will never be good. Never. Been bad for too long. I sat with a couple, a couple, a couple, a couple of weeks ago, and they're like, "There's just too much stuff, too much stuff." Okay, how long have you been married? We've married three years. You got time. You think I've been this bad habit? I'm never going to be able to change this bad habit. 
you say I'm just I struggle with this too much it's just my temper or or, or you know my my fear or um, someone would tell me one time that fear and anxiety like you've been living with fear and anxiety so much you feel like they're your roommates you wake up and you spend all day with them and you say I can never and I say just the fact that you are fighting just the fact that you are fighting means that you're on the right track because in the end we are more than conquerors but we not may not be in the end today the key for this conquering we are more than conquerors is not the whole verse is that we are more than conquerors remember the second half through him we are more than conquerors through him and what we are going to see is that on our own we are actually not conquerors we are less than conquerors but through him there's victory when there's a power source outside of us that's stronger than us is what we need to tap into let me show you what we are not through him on our own Romans chapter 7 verse 18 and 19 tell me if this sounds like something that you're used to in life st. Paul says for to will is present with me but how to perform what is good I do not find for the good that I will to do I do not do and he goes on later and says and the evil that I will not to do that is what I do she already said he's saying the desire is there to do good is there to change is there to improve is there to fix is there the desire is there the will is present with me but the how I do not find because that which I desire I don't do and that which I don't desire I do this verse sounds a lot like my life this one I can relate to this is exactly where we find ourselves the majority of time but here's the good news for you here's the good news for you this passage this verse which describes where we are comes from where Romans 7 the verse that says we are more than conquerors comes from where Romans 8 do you think that in Romans 8 when st. Paul said we are more than conquerors he had forgotten what he said in Romans 7 that I can't do nothing on my own you think like he was writing and then all of a sudden like like it was a new season like it was, that was season one this is season 12 the good news for us is we are more than conquerors is based on the fact that for me to will is present but the ability I can't do it. Romans 8 is based on Romans 7 through him I'm a conqueror but the first step is realizing that without him I'm a worthless through him conquer without him I'm a worthless I'll give you an example not too long ago my daughter bless her heart Lizzie She's the best she's very helpful she likes to help around the house she sees me changing the light bulb I want to do it 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 okay Lizzie here you go you can do it she's me uh, fixing something I want to do it 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 she saw me one time doing something like with a screwdriver and I needed to I can't remember what I was doing but I'm doing something I need to put some elbow into it she says, I want to do it I want to do it and I say Lizzie you can't do it she says, I want to do it I want to do it I want to do it okay Lizzie here you do it and I help you no no she has this thing where she says by myself by myself by myself okay ever since she was young from her mother probably or something. <laughs> Just joking. Lizzie doesn't like to ask for help she never likes to ask for help with anything she wants to do it by herself and I'm sitting there watching her and she can't she physically does not have enough muscle to push it in like she understands the technique turn you know lefty-loosey righty-tighty she understands that I taught her that turn it this way and it goes in but it needed a little bit of muscle needed somebody a little bigger than someone this big to push it in there but she didn't understand that she wanted by myself by myself by myself she needed to understand, watch the analogy here, that she can be more than a conqueror with the wooden chair that needed the screwing, 
more than a conqueror, but only through me who had the power to be able to do it. That without me, she didn't have the power to do it. And as much as she tried to do it on her own, she could never, ever, ever do it because she's physically not strong enough. And she will never be strong enough. She can read all the books that she wants about screw driving. She can read, she can say all the prayers. She can go to church. She can fast. She can pray. She can do everything. She doesn't physically have the muscle to be able to be more than a conqueror than the wooden chair in front of her. And we, some of us, need a spiritual midlife crisis. What's a midlife crisis? Midlife crisis is where this starts to go away. This starts to increase. And we come to the conclusion that I used to be able to run a lot faster. I can't run that fast. I used to be able to jump a lot higher. I can't jump that high. I used to be able to have more energy, think a little bit quicker on the draw. We have to come into a spiritual midlife crisis, which basically says, I'm starting to understand my limitations. Believe me, the more I grow in my spiritual life, the less I think of myself, not the more I think of myself. The more I grow and get closer to God, the less I think of myself, not the more I think of myself. Some of us need a spiritual midlife crisis. We need to put down the screwdriver and say, no more by myself, by myself, by myself. And we need to say, Dad, I need help. I'm not saying we be lazy. I'm not saying we do nothing. And I'm not saying we just sit back and say, Dad, fix that, Dad, fix that. What I'm saying is we go to our Father and say, I need help. Guide me, lead me. You lead, I follow. You tell me, I rely on your strength, on your expertise in the extreme makeover, okay? I bring the expert in, that guy, those two brother guys, okay? Those two brother guys, they come in and they've done this thing before and they know how to knock walls down. They know how to put toilets in. They know how to change stuff. So they're the ones, they're in charge. And if they say, hold, hold the camera and just take a picture of us, and we just hold the camera and take a picture. And if they say, hold this, we hold this. If they say, go over there, we rely on their ability, not on our own ability. Let me show you, this is through me. Let me show you through him. One of my favorite verses, I love this verse. If you ever struggle to find power, you go to this verse. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God. And I like, ah, ah, Lord God. This is a great ah. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Ah, Lord. Isn't that a comforting verse? I say I want to make over my house. And I don't know how to make over nothing. And then the, walks, the guy who walks in the door is Bob Vila or Tim the Toolman Taylor. And I say, ah, ah, Lord. I want to make over my life. But I can't. It's frantic in my marriage and my parenting. And I eat and I dread it. Ah, Lord God. You made the heavens and the earth by your voice. By one word from your mouth, the heavens were created. There's nothing too hard for you. What we're going to do today is we are going to come to the realization. We need to come to the realization that on our own, we are weak, but through him, we are strong. On our own, we will be defeated, but through him, we will be victorious. On our own, we can accomplish nothing, but through him, there's nothing we cannot accomplish because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And what we need to see today is how to tap into that power. So today, that's why, like I said, today is going to be a good day, a pick-me-up day. If you feel weak, you're not going to leave feeling weak. If you feel like you can't, you're not going to leave feeling. Maybe you feel like I can't, but you know that he can. And he's on my side because we talked about the last few weeks, if you weren't here, that I am a child of his. He's always on my side. I have his name attached to me. 
And I am not just a child, but I am like the special child that he has a great purpose. Called me to be a saint, ordained me to be a priest. Not just this priest, this royal priest. We talked about that last week. And we see that he has something great in store for me. So he's on my side. And I know who I am. And I know that through him, I'm more than a conqueror. How do we tap into that power, though? Two simple things. All right? And it, it's kind of the, the same strategy you would apply to, to, to building a home or to, to basically anything in life. There's a knowledge and an action. There's a intellectual and then a implementation component of it, okay? Someone who's building a house, designs it on paper, and then he goes and he picks up his hammer. There's two steps. So the first step, the intellectual step, is I must understand the authority I've been given. I must understand the authority that I've been given. I have to understand what's available to me. <clears throat> true story, at least I think it's true. I, I read about it uh, somewhere, someone, but I can't verify it, but true story. There was a man, a poor man, excuse me, there was a poor man who was basically a homeless guy, but he wasn't really homeless, like he had this little apartment that he lived in, but it was like it was something very, very, very small, something where the rent for it was $3 a week, okay, something he paid $3 a week, low income, whatever it was, but just disgusting place, it was very small. And this guy had no job, and he basically was a beggar, and he would sit on the side of the street and just beg, beg for food, beg for money, beg for whatever. One day, he was found dead in his apartment. And when they found him dead, they looked through all his stuff. And again, he didn't have much, okay, but they found him dead. And they did the autopsy and basically malnutritioned. Okay, he died of just a poor lifestyle. In his apartment, they found a stack of Christian pamphlets. You know how sometimes you see people passing out those tracts or those Christian pamphlets like, you know, Jesus is the only way or whatever it may be. So apparently this beggar, you sit by the side of the street, and there was this Christian guy who used to come see him every few days or whenever it was on his lunch break, and he wouldn't give him money, but he would give him this pamphlet. And the pamphlet would say, you know, Jesus is the way or the Bible is the word of God, whatever it would say. And this beggar guy hated it. Okay, he never really cared much for it. He wanted money or a sandwich or something like that. But somehow he put them all, and he'd take them in his pocket, and he would just, he'd just put them all in his pocket, and when he got home, he threw them all in a pile. Well, when they went through the man's belongings after he had died, they found all those Christian pamphlets, and they opened them up. And they saw inside each one of them was a $100 bill. And this poor man who lived poor, I should say this man who lived poor, was actually quite rich. This man who lived like a beggar actually had at his disposal, in his pocket literally, the means to escape his poverty. I like this verse from Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know why we're destroyed? Lack of knowledge. Why not lack of ability? We just said earlier how we're weak. We said earlier how we can't. We said earlier about how there's lots of things that we want to do we can't do. But it's not our lack of ability that destroys us. It's our lack of knowledge. Why? Because it's in our pocket. The ability is in our pocket. We've been given the power. We've been given the authority. We are rich. We are rich beyond our belief. But our problem is we don't know it. Our problem is we rely on willpower as opposed to the power of God. Even because sometimes we know the power of God is there, but it's this, we, we rely on willpower. Willpower. No, I can will my way to do it. 
Willpower doesn't work. Does willpower work? Willpower does not work. We've all tried it. We've all failed. You know, if willpower worked, you'd be a side six, and I wouldn't eat my kids' candy when they go to school. If willpower was enough to work, all of our lives would be different. But willpower doesn't work. Willpower doesn't work. We need God power. Where does God power come from? Watch this verse right here. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus said the following to his disciples. He said to them, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I give you the authority to tread on, trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I give you the authority over all the power of the enemy. The enemy, whatever he's throwing at you in your life. Jesus says right here, I give you the authority over him. Okay? Let's try to understand this. He didn't say, I give you power over him. He said, I give you authority over him. What's the difference between authority and power? Are they the same? A policeman standing in the middle of the street lifts up his hand like this in front of a car. What will that car do? It'll stop. Does he have the power to stop that car? Does he have the authority to stop that car? Yes. He does not have the power to stop that car. If that car decides, he'll be done. But by the power of the state of Virginia, the, the, the federal government, whatever it may be, whatever authority there is, has given him their power delegated to him. So even though he's a nobody, he just joined the force 15 minutes ago, he carries with him, when he has the uniform on, all the power of the United States government. And he lifts his hand and you stop. Not because he has the power, but because he has the authority. And we, as children of the king, do not have the power of the king, but we have the authority of the king. Because authority equals power delegated. It's the power that somebody else has in their hand that they give to you to use for a specific purpose. That's what we have. He did not say, I give you power over the enemy. Because I got news for you. If it's you and the enemy face to face, you're going to lose. You got as much shot over the enemy as the policeman has to stop that car with his brute force. You got no shot. But the authority? We have authority in Christ. When I received his name on me, when I was adopted into his family, when he called me son or daughter, he put his name on me. He adopted me into his family. As soon as I'm adopted into his family, I have his name attached to mine. So you mess with me, you mess with all of us. You mess with me, you mess with my father. A child of a king walks around, not in his own authority, but says, on the authority of my dad, you let me in this place because I'm the child of the king. I don't have the power to force my way in this place, but I have the authority to do whatever I want. Not because of my power, but because of the power of my father. You have that same authority. You have the authority of Jesus Christ himself has been given to you over every power of the enemy. You say, what's the power of the enemy? Like, what's the benefit of this authority? Is this, is this authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over a power of the enemy? Okay, so I can cast out demons. Is that what that is? I wasn't planning on doing any exorcisms today, but I know that in case I need to, that I have that authority. Is that what this is? Anybody done any exorcisms this week, this month, calendar year? Anybody? i never done an exorcism in my life, and I hope, I pray, I never end up have to. And I don't even know what that means, to be honest. Okay, people, sometimes people ask me, are you specialized in exorcism? I was like, I didn't know there's specialties. Okay, but apparently there's specialties. I don't have that specialty. So then what's the benefit of this authority? What is this authority over? 
look here, man. All of life is a war. All of life is a war. You're on one side. The enemy's on the other side. And that enemy, those unclean spirits, the, uh, the uh, power of the enemy, the serpents and the scorpions and the unclean spirits, those are not exorcism demon possession. Those are the unclean spirits of lying, of lust, of greed, of selfishness, of pride, of ego. Those are the things that destroy our lives. What destroys our lives these days isn't demon-possessed people. It's not demon-possessed the way we think of it. It's these little demons that come in and convince us and, and make us addicted and convince us to not say sorry or to hold on to our bitterness or not to forgive. It's these are the demons that God has given us authority over them that in his name, then we can move past them. I'm not saying you'll never sin. I'm not saying you'll never make a mistake. I talked about this last week that we fall into sin all the time. But what I'm saying is we have the authority that we never have to live in sin. Yes, we may fall into sin, but we never have to live in sin. I may be walking down the street and I trip and I fall face first into a ditch. And I don't have to live in the ditches because I fell in the ditch. We fall into ditches all the time. And I'm not saying because of Christ, you're his son, you never fall into a ditch. No, you will fall into a ditch. But I'm saying because you're his son, you never stay in the ditch. And if you say, I can't get out of this ditch, you, ditch, you reach up and you say, I'm the child of the king. Someone send the king's soldier to come help me out of this ditch. And they will help you out of the ditch. Because I'm child of the king, I'm more than a conqueror. Yes, I will fall into sin, but I never have to stay in sin. Yes, I will struggle at times to love, but I never have to stay with bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. I never have to. I can have freedom from that. I'm a conqueror. I can say, you know what? I struggle, like I said, I struggle to eat my kids' candy, their Halloween candy when they go to school. And I say, you know what? That's a struggle for me. But you know what? I never have to live as a children's candy stealer of my own children. I can find freedom in Christ. We were not made to live defeated, weak lives. We were made to live conquerors, victorious. This is how we were made. This is how we were gifted. Everything he gave to us was to live victorious lives through him. And the first step is we must understand the authority that has been given to us. But now the second step, after we understand the authority, is I must exercise the authority. A policeman is told, you wear this uniform, you wear this badge, you stick your hand up, you stop traffic. Understanding that is good, but you know what's better? Doing it. Putting on the uniform before you go out there. And we need to not just understand our authority, but to exercise that authority. In other words, we need to fight smarter, not fight harder. We need to stop trying to become strong enough that we can stop the oncoming traffic, which is what we usually do. That's a willpower approach. And we need to exercise this uniform that has been given to us and say, if I understand and put this uniform, if I put this uniform on every day, I walk around and sometimes I'm just scratching my head and people stop. If I put this uniform on every day, if I put this uniform on every day, if I put this uniform on every day, then I have that authority with me. What's the uniform? For us that makes us more than conquerors it's the uniform jesus is the uniform and how do we put jesus on we put on our uniform we put on christ through the eucharist now let me take a pause out of my out of my talk right here we here in the orthodox church we have certain belief about the Eucharist. And I understand that not everyone here shares the same belief. 
and I'm totally fine with that. Like, we welcome you, and we love you. You don't have to agree with everything that I say to be attending here at this church. You don't have to. I, I totally understand. I, I'm, you were taught something different, but I'm going to teach you what I've been taught, okay? Because the only thing I know is what I've been given. So our belief about the Eucharist, we believe that Jesus gave us his body and his blood when he gathered his disciples together before the end of his life, as everyone shares that belief, he gathered them around a table, he took some bread, and he said, guys, this is not regular bread. This is my body, which is given for remission of sins to all who partake of it. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. So we take that event very, very seriously here in the Orthodox Church. And we do that on a regular basis. That's actually the center of our life together as a church, center of our worship, is that we take those words that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and we don't think he meant it in a spiritual only way or a symbolic way or in a memory way. We think he meant a living remembrance and he commanded them to not just think of it, but to actually do it. That's why his disciples, those who were at that table, as soon as Jesus departed, they continued to do this. It's written about in the book of Acts as breaking bread. And anyone who studies the scriptures knows that breaking bread was different than just a common meal. It was understood to be a mystical meal, understood to be something that more than meets the eye. And the reason why we practice the Eucharist today is because we are very serious. Like, we take those words that Jesus said very, very, very seriously. And like I said, I understand that you may not. That's totally fine. Like, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Believe me. I'm just sharing. I can only share what I've been given. Okay? I can only share what I've been given. Every Sunday, we gather together in this place. And we gather around the table of the Lord, and we receive the same mystical supper that Jesus shared with his apostles and that the early church continued to practice even after Jesus' ascension up into heaven. And we believe that when we receive that, the bread, and we drink the cup, we receive the actual life of Jesus inside of us. Not in a spiritual way only, but in a real way. In a mystical, like the word mystical is the best because mystery means you see something, but it's more than meets the eye. And I know some people don't like mystery and we don't like things that we can explain. I told this a few weeks ago. Look, if you only live your life based on what you can explain, it's going to be a pretty miserable life, to be honest. Because the best things in life are things that you can't explain. And I don't want my life to be limited just to things that I understand. Okay, because I'm not that smart a guy. So I don't want my life to just be down here. I want to open up a whole world of possibilities to me. That there is a God who's bigger than I can understand. And he's given me tools that are more than I can comprehend. So this is how I choose to live my life and that's fine. We believe when we participate in the body and blood of Christ that we receive the actual life of Jesus inside of us. And there's something that Jesus said before even the Last Supper that again, we here in the Orthodox Church, we take this literally. I understand you may take this not literally, but we take it literally. When Jesus said in John 6, he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. We take that literally. We don't interpret that. We take that literally. Whoever e eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, in truth, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. The Eucharist is for us putting on Christ literally. It is putting on Christ literally. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not real. Okay, like I have a real brain in my head that you cannot see because your eyes can't see it. But if you had a tool, a proper tool, and you stuck it in my ear, in my nose, or through my eyes, if you had the right tool, you could see my real brain inside my head. Just because it's invisible to you doesn't mean it's not real. Same thing when we participate in the body and the blood. 
It's really the body and blood of Christ. His life inside of us. Eat my flesh, I abide in you. Drink my blood, I abide in you. And that, him abiding in us, that's our power. That's our uniform. And when we put that on and we walk around in the street, traffic stops. And when we don't put that on and we walk around on our own and we say, please stop, please stop, please stop, please stop, we get run over all the time. There's a story of like uh, the desert monks from way back long ago. One desert monk had like a dream or a vision or a revelation or whatever. It's somewhere in between there, okay? And he had like this, this vision of, or like a dream where he saw a bunch of demons. And they were like trying to attack. And he somehow had a dialogue with the demons. I don't know why you would have a dialogue with them. I think you run like the wind. But anyway, it's just a dream. So he has a dialogue with the demons. And he asked them, what is it that you fear in Christians? What is it that you fear in Christians? And the demons responded. Three things, they said. They said, what you wear around your neck, what you wash with in the church, and what you partake of in community. What you wear around your neck, which is cross. What you wash with in church, which is baptism and repentance. Okay, baptism and repentance. Because you are washed once, and then when we repent, it's a second baptism or a third baptism or a fourth baptism. And what you partake of in community, which is what? Eucharist. The guy goes on. Okay, he liked the answer, so he continues the discussion. He said, of the three, which do you fear most? The demons responded, quote, if you guarded well that of which you partake of in community, none of us could ever offend a Christian. Say that one again. If you guarded well that of which you partake of in community, none of us could ever offend a Christian. Why? Does the devil and all his demons, them against Christ, who wins? They can't touch him. Our problem is we don't guard well that of which we partake of. You see, I think, my own opinion, we need more emphasis and we need to understand the power of the Eucharist in our lives. Just yesterday, we had this ancient faith class and we were chatting and someone was saying how we have turned like the Eucharist and all the sacraments, but the Eucharist, we think that the end is just to take the, the, the sacrament. The end is just to confess. The end is just to receive communion. This is not the end. It's a means to the end. The end is the communion with Christ, the oneness with him. That I and my Father are one, and I want you to be one with us. Me and you, you and me, all of us together, one. Communion, intimacy, oneness together. That oneness is the goal, and the Eucharist is the means by which we achieve that. So we need to stop thinking of, my goal is just to get to church on Sunday and take communion, that's it. My goal is not, my goal is to come to church on Sunday and receive communion, not take communion, receive communion, be one with Christ, and then go out of this church and knowing that I am united with Christ and the devil has no power over me. And he may bark, and he may scream, and he may whatever, but I have been given authority, not because I'm strong, but because he is in me and I am in him. And I have this uniform now called Christ, and no one can touch me when I have the uniform called Christ. Without the uniform of Christ, you say, you know what? I can't go to church on Sunday. Why? Uh, it's, it's raining, okay? I don't go to church when it rains. Or it's 
sunny, okay, and it's, uh, I don't know, or I'm tired, or uh, it's, it's, I don't know what, I, I can't think of, of, of a reason, a valid reason to say, you know what, I don't want to receive Christ this week. I got this week on my own. And again, I'm not doing this in a judgmental way. Believe me, I'm not saying, I'm not saying have to, I'm saying get to. I'm saying we get to put on Christ on a weekly basis. And we need to realize that when we put on Christ, we benefit a lot more from that than he does. Because that's our power. St. Paul says it this way. Colossians 1.26. What's the goal of life? St. Paul, tell us this. He says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, say it with a loud voice, which is Christ in you. Say it like you mean it. Which is Christ in you. That's the goal of everything we do in Christianity. That's the goal. And we, like it's in the Orthodox Church, we take this literally, not just symbolically. We don't just take this to mean like a emotional or a kind of a spiritual experience. We take this to mean a real experience where Jesus said, I really want you to eat this bread. And if you eat this bread, I'm really inside of you. That's the goal of everything we do. And we need to start to appreciate that and put more emphasis on that in our own lives. If you want to know what it is we receive when we receive the body of Christ, one of our, uh, the saints of our church, St. John Chrysostom, said the following. He said, we receive within us. Again, we take this stuff literally, so that's why he's saying this. We receive within us the same body of our Lord Christ that was born in a manger of Bethlehem. The same body that walked on the Sea of Galilee. The same body that was crucified on Calvary. The same body that was resurrected from the tomb. The same body that ascended to heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And the summary of all that, he says this. There is no power in life greater than this. And y'all would agree with me. That the body that walked on the Sea of Galilee, the body that rose from the tomb, the body that ascended to heaven, there is no greater power than this in life. And we have been given an opportunity to receive that body in our own body and to put on that uniform every single Sunday. If you want to try to, again, I, I can't put this into a formula here for you because this is something mysterious. I can't. But if you want to try to understand why putting his body in my body is so powerful, okay? The verse that I would, I would throw at you is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, this first part kind of shows you the beginning that I, I'm struggling, I need to change. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He's saying that we have fallen, but we've gotten up. Why? Because we always carry about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. See what he's saying? He's saying Jesus walked on this earth in the flesh. Walked on the Sea of Galilee. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven in the flesh, in the flesh. And now that flesh is inside our flesh. Now his body is inside my body. To go back to the makeover example, the experts who have done this makeover before now transport themselves inside my body. I take the brain of Bob Vila and I put it inside my brain. The Eucharist is a mystery. The mystery that the one who has overcome and conquered every enemy now abides inside of us. And when we participate in the Eucharist and we understand and we exercise and we carry that same authority with us. 
This is how we were meant to live. We were made to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Like I said in the beginning, all of us have a desire to change. All of us have a desire to improve, a desire to fix whatever it may be. And you can have that desire for the rest of your life. But until you understand that on your own, you're worthless, but through him, you're more than a conqueror, and you understand the authority he's given to us, and then we exercise that authority through his body and through his blood, probably end up living difficult lives. Last thing I'll say, and I wasn't intending to talk about this, but I always feel like if something happening in the real world, one of the things that kind of growing up, sometimes you, you think that like church is disconnected from real life because okay, the stuff that you hear about from here has nothing to do with what's in the real world. So a few days ago, everyone knows something happened in Paris, okay, and some terrorist attacks. And I'll be honest, I don't even really know what happened. I never even, I was, I was out of town uh, Friday and Saturday, got back last night. So I've only heard what like little rumblings, what people told me, and like it was a group of middle school kids who told me. So I don't really know what happened. But someone asked me last night, you know, this and this happened, and they're angry and this and that. And I was, I said, I am angry. And there's a specific group of people that I'm most angry at when I hear stuff like this. Do you know who I'm angry at? It's not the Muslims like you would think. I'm angry at Christians when I hear this. I get angry at Christians. I get angry at the body of Christ. And the reason why I get angry is because, not saying that it's our fault what happened, but I do believe it is our fault if we don't work to solve the problem. And I don't believe that we caused the problem, but I do believe we are the solution to the problem. And I get angry when I hear Christians bickering about this belief for this belief. Or we do things this way, you do things this way. Or about um, we don't like your teaching on this or your teaching on this. I get angry when I see that and you see that people are dying. People are dying. And we're the only ones who have the power to stop it. Because military is not going to stop it. Government is not going to stop it. Jesus is the only one who can stop it. The only thing that can change someone who has hate inside their heart is the gospel of Jesus. What else can change a person? If you think that anything outside can change it, it can't. The only thing that's going to change it is us. And I get angry when I see us bickering and I see us focused on all the unimportant things as opposed to uniting in Christ. Uniting in Christ. Me, union with Christ, union with one another. And then we go take the power of the gospel and we take it to the ends of the earth because that's the only thing that's going to change hearts. That's the only thing that's going to change hearts. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not angry at Christians because they caused it, but I'm angry at Christians because we are the only solution. We're the only ones who have the power. And if we don't tap into the power that God has given to us, tap in our own personal life for the sake of the world around us, we need to do it. Zechariah, the prophet, speaks on behalf of God, and he says this. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Everything that we just talked about for our own personal lives or for the world is the same. It's the same. The world needs fixing. My own life needs fixing. It's the same. The only power that can conquer the evil spirits in your own life or in the world around us is the power of Jesus Christ himself. But the good news for us is that power has been made available to us and it is freely given to us. And it's time for us, the Christians, the children of God, the sons of the king like we talked about the first week and the people who have been ordained as saints and as priests. It's time for us to rise up, to connect and to receive the power of God, and then to be more than conquerors. And that's how we're going to win this world. We got one more week left in this series. One more week. I told you all in the beginning, first week, I said, 
We talked about how we are a new creation in Christ and all things are new. Okay, we talked about how we are a new creation, how we are a child of God, we are a saint, we are priests. Now today we talked about we are conquerors. I told you in the beginning that you might not be buying what I'm selling. I said that. You might not be buying what I'm selling, but I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, come with an open heart and an open mind for one month, for these five weeks, okay? And come and listen and see if God doesn't change your heart and change your mind as to who you could be inside him. That's what I asked you in the beginning. We got one more week to go. I'm asking you to keep that open heart because next week, the topic we're going to talk about next week might be the most difficult of all of the topics to talk about. Or I should say, not to talk about. Talk about is easy. To believe. Next week, we're going to talk about how you are a masterpiece. But you will never understand your standing in God's eyes as a masterpiece. A masterpiece. Unless you understand that you are a creation, new creation, you are a child of God, you are a saint, you are a priest, and now today you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. We're going to come back next week, open hearts, open minds, and we're going to see what God, how God created us to be not just all these things, but ultimately we're his masterpiece and what that means for us. Okay? Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father for the power that you have given to us, the authority that you've given us in your name. Thank you that you don't just leave us and watch us struggle and squirm, but you've given us everything that we need to live a life that's pleasing to you, to live a victorious life. I pray, Lord, that you, any one of us, anyone who's here who's, who's kind of doubting themselves and frustrated and feeling like, I can't and I'm never going to and how come God and where are you, God? You know those things, Lord, that we, that we say to ourselves. I pray that you, you would come and work a special work inside of our hearts. And you help us to understand what it is that you've given to us and give us to be able to practice it, to put you on and to walk around with the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.